Well, this morning we continue our series, uh, our Summer in the Psalms series, and one of our elders, Raudo Garcia, is going to be preaching for us. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 47. Um, I failed to look up the page number in the Pew Bible, but it's in there somewhere, and the words will also be on the screen uh, above. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 47, to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah, clap your hands, all peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy, for the Lord, the most high is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout and the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. This is God's word. Good morning. No, I was not leaving. I was getting my water. So we've learned um, the last couple of weeks, we've learned about different types of psalms, different categories. Um, two weeks ago, we learned about uh, what laments are, such as Psalm 42 and 43, which Travis preached. Uh, then last week, we heard uh, a song of Zion, uh, Psalm 48, which Mark preached for us. Uh, there, there are different uh, there are different types of psalms. Uh, like, like for example, today I will be preaching uh, from Psalm 47, which is a praise psalm or a hymn. And each uh, category has it's like an umbrella, and under it there are subcategories. For example, Psalm 47 is also considered a kingship psalm. Sometimes this refers to the human king of Israel, like for example David, and sometimes it refers to God and his praise as king. Now, what do we mean when we say praise? When the, when the psalmists praise God, they are telling, they are proclaiming who he is and what he has done. Uh, for example, uh, here in, in verse 2, we, we read, He is a great king over all the earth. That is who he is. Those are his attributes. In Psalm 3, in verse 3, he subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. That's what he has done. And I'm going to back up a little bit because I forgot to pray. That's because I'm nervous. So I'm going to take time to pray. That's the main thing here, okay? 
Father, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to come before your presence. Thank you for allowing us to gather and worship you and bring, Father, our, our, our praise to you, for you are all deserving, Lord God. Father, it's a, uh, a privilege for me to, uh, to be able to, to bring the word today. Uh, may you instruct us. May you be glorified and magnified, Lord Jesus. And may you uh, uh, change us, Father, as we uh, hear your word today. Amen. Amen. Sorry about that. As, this, as I was saying, as a society, we actually do a lot of praising. You might not realize it, but we do. Um, for example, uh, most of us like sports. I love sports. I love the Red Sox. And there is nothing more exciting for me than to see a player hit a home run. Last year, Esteban and I had the opportunity to go to uh, a Sox game. And we love Mookie. And Mookie came to bat, and he hit a huge home run. As soon as he did that, the entire park erupted in praise. Uh, fans were euphoric. They were saying, Mookie, you are awesome. Others chanted, MVP, MVP, most valuable player. player. And yet others said, you the man. So, so we were cheering and applauding Mookie because of what he had done. That was a very exciting day. But even if you're not a sports fan, you too uh, praise somebody. If you have children, you praise them when they behave. You praise them when they uh, help around the house, when they do the laundry or help you clean. If you, are, uh, if you have a spouse, you praise her when she uh, or he cooks for you and they cook a, a delicious meal or when they try to cook a delicious meal. <laughs> even at, even at um, my job, you know, every year all the employees get a questionnaire, and the company wants to know, you know, how they're doing. They want some feedback. So they, uh, they ask us, okay, one of the questions that they ask is, um, has your supervisor praised you when you do you know, when you do a good work. So our society, you know, this is, it's evident that as a society, we're very familiar and comfortable with uh, praising others. What is surprising and sad, however, is that we often miss the mark when it comes to praising or worshiping God. Our society in general uh, has lost all reverence for God. Uh, Hollywood, Hollywood doesn't waste any time using God's word God's name as a curse, which is very sad. They, they just drag his name through the, through the mud. But what about us, his church? Are we worshiping God the way that he deserves, the way that he calls us to, whether individually or collectively? You know, we might say, oh, you know, Christianity is difficult. This is not really what I was expecting when I became a Christian. Sometimes, you know, our minds, our, our, our thoughts change when we come, well, they should change when we come to Christ. And that causes friction and, and strain with our relationship with other people, with, with, our, with our, our relatives. So that may bring you down and you say, you know, do I really need to praise God? Perhaps your children are giving you a hard time because 
you know, you were not a Christian and you came to Christ, and now, instead of waking up late or doing other things on Sunday, you are coming to worship, and they are cranky, and they don't like that, you know. Or maybe your life is just busy, you know, let's admit it, life is just busy, and you might say, you know what, God, God, God what's going on here, I, I'm working so much, and, uh, and, and you said you were going to deliver me from my troubles, and you haven't done so. And you start to think, worshiping God is not worth it, or he doesn't deserve it. It's possible, too, that you're in the opposite situation, that, you know, the bank account is full, and, you know, you don't have many, many problems and inconveniences, and you say, you know, you start to, to get complacent, and you, and you say, um, well, you know what, I, I obtained all this because of my strength, my wisdom, and you, beca- you, try, and you be start to become self-sufficient. And you think that you owe nothing to God, that praising Him or worshiping Him, it's optional. In reality, there are many reasons why we withhold praise from God. Uh, but ultimately, we do this because either we don't think He's worthy of our praise, or because we don't know Him. We don't know the God of the Bible. Psalm 47 was, uh, was written, was penned by someone who really knew that God was worthy of praise, that he was worthy of, of his worship. Now, scholars disagree regarding the structure of the psalm. The ESV, for example, um, divides it into three stanzas, three sections. Others divide it at, at verse 4. Um, I believe that structurally the psalm is divided into two stanzas, verses 1 through 5 and 6 through 9. Both begin with a call to praise, a call to worship God. And the first one speaks about king, uh, about the king who conquers, and the second one speaks about the king who reigns. And this, this uh, division reflects the, the symmetry within the psalm. In Psalm 47, the, the, the writer first invites us to worship God, verses 1 and 6. And then he gives us reasons why we should do this, why we should follow this command. Uh, he, he provides support in two ways, by telling us who God is, his identity, and then by, uh, by telling us what he has done, his deeds, so, so this psalm helps us understand who God is. It helps us know him better and reminds us of, the, of God's acts on behalf of his people and most of all for his own glory. So look at me at, psalm, at verses 1 and 6, which are both summons to worship. Clap your hands, O people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. This is a song that celebrates God. It calls us to worship him joyously by clapping our hands, by singing songs of praise, and by declaring with our voices who he is and what he has done. But already we notice something interesting. For many of us, we sometimes hesitate to celebrate God in this way. Why is it that we can be so passive when we gather for corporate worship? As I mentioned before, we, we have no trouble praising 
our favorite team or our favorite um, athlete. We passionately pray, uh, praise sing, uh, singers we love. So what prevents us from praising the Lord in this way? Other Christians' traditions do not hesitate to get loud for the Lord. They have other challenges, but this is not one of them. No one is perfect. Some of us are hesitant because we have seen churches embrace emotionalism, where worship becomes all about an experience. And I agree that we don't want any of that. But there is a difference between showing our emotions in worship and giving, than giving way to uh, emotionalism. They are two different things. For starters, emotionalism focuses on us. But this psalm is all about God. We read words, uh, the words God or He 12 times, all in, in references to God, in, this, in, in just nine verses, nine short verses in this psalm. But God is worthy of our worship with a full range of emotions. We find that throughout the psalms, the psalmists express a variety of emotion, grief, despair, fear, anger, loneliness. But, but we also find exuberant joy for God. He deserves our best praise. The songs we sing should not leave us the same. They should transform us, not hours or days later, but right here as we worship. As we sing them, we should be opening our hearts and our minds to what God is doing, to what he wants to do in us and through us, through his Holy Spirit. The time we spend here singing isn't a prelude to what comes later, the sermon. No, it's a time to worship, to praise, and to adore the King of Heaven. God will get our hearts ready, our minds prepared to listen to the sermon, to his word. I don't think it is in any way less important. Uh, when we sing, it's not, it's not in any way less important than the sermon itself, not even 1%. If we think so, then we are not engaged with God. Just as God speaks to us through the sermon, he should also speak through, to us through song. We should be encouraged we should be uplifted. We should be confronted. Biblical music should make us think about repenting of our sins. It should make our hearts glad because our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. Biblical music should bring us closer to our Creator. All of this and more should, take, should happen if the theology behind the music is biblical. And in my opinion, the music that I hear is thoroughly biblical. This is not to say that we don't do things well here at Westgate. We do. There are many things that we do excellently. Uh, missions, uh, fellowship. We are very generous. But like any other church, there are areas in which we can, as a, as a body, um, um, do better. The psalm answers, uh, but the psalmist doesn't only tell us how to praise God. He also answers the questions why we should offer our praise, our worship. 
The psalmist answers these questions by telling us, number one, who God is, and number two, by telling us what he has done for Israel and for the Gentiles. So who is this God, according to the psalmist, according to the writer? In just a few lines, he paints an awesome portrait of this powerful God. Clap your hands, O peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. God is a great king. He isn't just one of many kings. He is the great king of all the earth. This is the main idea of this song, which he repeats again in verses 6 and 7. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a song. Most of us don't fully understand the worth or, or the value of a king because we live in a democracy. But kings rule the majority of nations around Israel, those nations that surrounded Israel. As a writer puts it, the king was the dispenser of protection, justice, and mercy, and a symbol of power and authority. The king provided leadership both in times of peace and times of war. But while human kings usually inherited the throne, our God is king by virtue of creation. He is our creator king. And since he spoke all of the creation into being, he is king of the entire universe. Faraway galaxies, planets, the moon, earth, you and me. But the psalmist does not stop there. He provides a rich description of the king. First, his name, the Lord, Yahweh. The king, the king is the God who revealed himself to Moses and the Israelites uh, as we studied last year in the book of Exodus. You may remember that the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt but God, by his mercy, raised up a, a deliverer, a leader for them, Moses, and brought him out of slavery and into freedom. Yahweh rescued them through his mighty signs and wonders, made a covenant with them, and gave them his holy and perfect law that they may know that they will learn how to love him and how to cherish him. Then the psalmist tells us that the king is the most high God. The pagan nations that surrounded Israel had their local deities. Even to their own worshippers, these idols were limited in power in that they could only exercise authority within their territories. But Yahweh, God most high, he is above all idols of the pagan world. This is the same name that designates God as sovereign ruler of the universe. This God exercises supremacy and sovereignty over everything that exists. His name appears in Genesis 14 when Abraham defeated four kings who had kidnapped his, uh, his nephew Lot. The amazing thing is that Abraham had only 318 men with him, and he ended up defeating four armies. 
Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, whom we study in our series on Hebrews, he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Abraham did not defeat the four kings because he was an extraordinary leader or because of his knowledge of military strategy. He defeated them because God Most High delivered them into his hands. We also learned that the king is, is to be feared. Other um, translations say that he is awesome. The original meaning of this word has actually fallen out of use in our culture. We use it to refer to common things like an awesome car, an awesome song, or a totally awesome arcade game. But here, it indicates much more than that. It means that God is awe-inspiring. I once watched a documentary about the Hubble telescope. In 1990, astronauts stationed it um, above, or, above, above orbit, um, stationed it in orbit above the blurring effects of the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, what scientists were able to see was truly awe-inspiring. Uh, they saw stars, planets, galaxies, as they had never been seen before. Most of us are familiar with these images, and I actually should have included one in my slides, but next time. These images are truly awe-inspiring. However, in reality, the vastness, the greatness of the universe cannot compare to the greatness of our beautiful, awesome God, who is awe-inspiring. In the, in the book of Psalms, this word, awesome, it usually refers to the capacity to fill God's defeated foes, his enemies, with terror, and the people those in covenant relationship with him, with fearful respect, with reverence. Lastly, um, he tells us that the king is holy. Verse 8. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The king of the universe is holy, set apart from sin. His stone is said to be holy because God makes it holy. The vessels of the tabernacle were holy, that is, set apart for God's use, and therefore different from common use, from common things. But where there are kings, where there is a king, there are also usurpers. Adam and Eve started it all. They rebelled against the Creator King, and ever since then, all of humanity has followed suit in one way or another. The truth is that we all want to be king or queen. We see in the Bible, for example, that Absalom usurped David's throne, and if we read the, if you read the uh, book of Kings, the, uh, you will see that this happened on several occasions. Others did it also. And if we are honest, you know, we also, we, we, would, we would admit 
that we desire God's throne as if that was possible. We all want to be king or queen. We want to be in control of our lives. We don't want to answer to anyone. And sometimes we don't want to be accountable to anyone, even to a beautiful, loving, perfect king like our God. Instead of praising him, we boast about ourselves. It's actually interesting to see how many celebrities, past and present, have used the title king as their nickname. We have, for example, the king of pop, Michael Jackson. We have the king of rock, Elvis. We have King James, LeBron James, basketball player. King Felix, Felix Hernandez, pitcher. And we have King Henrik, Henrik Lundqvist, a hockey player. Yes, we all want to be king. But God is the only king of kings. No one, no one compares to him. God God deserves our best worship, not only because of who he is, because of his identity, but also because of what he has done, his glorious deeds in history. In verses 3 and 4, we learn that we learn what the king has done for Israel. He subdued people under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. These verses speak of the way that the Israelites conquered the promised land. The same powerful God who helped um, Abraham defeat those four kings in Genesis also helped the Israelites dispossess the uh, pagan nations of the land. The foreign tribes that inhabited God's land thought that it was their land, their possession. But God had already given this territory uh, to Abraham and his descendants. We read in Genesis 15, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Ammonites, the Canaanites, the Gergashites, and the Jebusites. What we must ask then is, why did God give this land to the Israelites? Was it because of their obedience? Was it because they brought the best worship, the best um, sacrifices? Was it because they, were, they had the best Sunday school teachers or the best ushers? Or because they had the best choir? It was not because of this. As a matter of fact, it had nothing to do with them. It was because because of God's grace towards Abraham and his descendants. God's grace, his unmerited favor towards them. Listen to these words in Deuteronomy 7. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasure possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people uh, people that the Lord uh, set his love on you and chose you, 
For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to his fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. In his love for Israel and his faithfulness to Abraham, God stooped down and delivered them over and over again. In his love, he chose them from among all the nations. And he is the reason why he dispos- they dispossessed the pagan nations of their promised land. That's the only reason, nothing else. Have you ever given it a thought that all that you possess, all that you have, it's actually a blessing from God, from God Most High. The very fact that you were born, it's a, it's a gift from God. Have you graduated from high school or from college? You have to thank God for that. Do you have a spouse that loves you? You definitely have to thank the Lord for that. I do. Um, The thing is that we tend to forget. We tend to forget and ignore that the source of every blessing that we receive is from God. James wrote, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. One of my bad habits, and I have many, is that I tend to forget that everything I have is from God. It's a gift from the king of all the earth. I forget because sometimes I take things for granted. I've got food, uh, we've got food on our table every day. And even though I take time to thank God for the food that I'm about to eat, sometimes I do it and it's just because of a routine and I don't stop and pause and really thank the Lord consciously of what he has provided for our family. This God who loves Israel, who fought and triumphed over her foes, he is pictured by the psalmist as entering Jerusalem as a victor. Verse 5. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. This verse is difficult to interpret, uh, for years, the uh, scholars have been trying to figure out what is the background of this, uh, of this uh, verse, and there has, there's no consensus. One of the most convincing interpretations that I found is that it refers to 2 Samuel 6. There we find David, who's, who brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, as people shouted and blew the horn. Now, why were they rejoicing? Why were the Israelites rejoicing? They were rejoicing because God's presence had returned to Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant served as a symbol of God's presence among its people, the Israelites. God said to Moses, And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the Ark, and in the Ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, 
and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. They rejoiced because the Lord was in their midst. The divine warrior or king lived among them. And it is that very presence that is right here with us through the Holy Spirit. However, uh, this God is not a nationalistic God. Although he loves Israel, his firstborn son, he also cares for pagan nations, for Gentiles, for idolatrous nations. Verse 8, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The pagan idols were for the most part, most part regional in nature. The Philistines had Dagon, the Moabites had Chemosh, the Amorites had uh, worshipped Molech, and so on. This is why God rebukes the people, the Israelites, when he asks, has a nation changed his God, even though they are no God? But my people have changed their glory for, the, for that which does not profit. Yahweh isn't restricted Yahweh's reign is not restricted to a specific region. His kingdom has no boundaries. And because God reigns over the nations, his mercy is extended to all peoples throughout the globe. So after recounting the deeds of the Lord on behalf of, the Israel, in behalf of Israel, the psalmist looks into the future to a time uh, when not only Israel, but also the nations, the Gentiles, will become part of the, his kingdom. But how? How would God bring, bring them into his fold? This idea probably puzzled many of them, many who read this psalm and who, or who uh, listened to it. They probably assumed that the nations would convert to their religion, the Gentiles, that you and I would do that. But God had other plans. We see otherwise in verse 9. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. How can the Gentiles, here represented by the princes, their military leaders, how, can they, how would they be gathered as the people of the God of Abraham? It is only through God's fulfillment of his promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. There we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It is only, and I capitalized this word, I underlined it, bold, and, and italics. It is only through Abraham's descendant, King Jesus, that not only, not only Gentiles, but also Jews will partake in God's blessing. For in him, that is in Jesus, 
recites all the promises of God. Paul wrote in Galatians 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We who have trusted in Jesus Christ are witness of this promise. We have become God's people, not on the basis of anything we have done, but on the basis of what Jesus has, has accomplished for us through his life, death, and resurrection. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, know that it is only by trusting in him that you will be able to partake in the promises that are fulfilled in him. Only in him can, you, can we obtain forgiveness of sins. In the end, it is a matter of who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? To the king of kings or to someone else or to something else? We all belong to someone. The psalm states it like this. For the shields of the earth belong to God. Other translations say, for the kings of the earth belong to God. The point is that the earthly kings have surrendered themselves to the heavenly king. Or they have demonstrated their surrender by laying down their shields. Only then will you be able to say with the psalmist and with those who have given their life to the king, he and only he is highly exalted. I haven't had to write a resume in 18 years. I've been at the same job since then. But I remember that when I was applying for this job, I had to write my resume. I had to write about who I was and what I had done previously. In this passage, God gives us a very partial resume. Not because he is trying to impress an employee, okay? He doesn't have to impress anyone. But because he is the king over all the earth, to him we all are worship. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We recognize, Lord Jesus, that uh, you are king, that you are Lord of lords and king of kings. Father, and we want to give you our best worship. For you deserve it, Lord Jesus. Father, uh, speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds, Lord Jesus. And help us love you, Father. Help us submit to your kingship, Father, that we are not our own. But we believe in you. We depend on you. Thank you for your word, Lord God. In your, in your name we pray. Amen.